again. Thanks for joining us for another flash fiction episode of Beer Books with me, Daisy Ray. And no April on this episode. She is actually a bit of a walking germ and sounds truly disgusting. And trust me, no one wants to listen to that. Seriously though, she has tested positive for COVID and I know she'll be listening, so hurry up and get better, April. And before I forget, April and I have been invited to host our first ever live and in-person evening at Copper Cogs in Long Eaton on the 11th of April, courtesy of Creatives at Cogs. So we're inviting you. More about that later. The writing prompt for this episode was Roots, and we had some terrific stories sent in. Lots of genealogy stories and some literal roots like trees and stuff, amongst others. So first up, we're going back in time to the 1940s to learn a little about the life of Terence, a little boy who my heart went out to when I read this story, and it's from a brand new writer for the podcast, Sandy Biddles. Next up, you'll hear Carolyn Ward-Daniels reading her own empowering and unusual story titled Weed. And to round off the stories for this episode, I'll bring you my story, which I've called George, which brings you a little heartache and a tiny sprinkle of magic. First up, though, I'd like to introduce Sandy's story titled Terence. Imagine this. Imagine this. 1945, you are three years old. Your name is Terence. You live in a small two-bedroom terrace house with your mother, aunt and cousins. Everyone shares a bed with someone else, but it keeps you warm on nights so cold you can scratch pictures on the window ice. You remember when a soldier visited, he wore a khaki uniform, which scratched when he picked you up to throw you in the air. He bought you a smart green toy train to play with, sang songs to you and told you he loved you. His little boy. Your mother told you stories about a beautiful emerald place called Ireland, where she was born and which lay in her heart. When she left without you, you thought it was your fault, that you must have been really bad. But your aunt called her an ungrateful dog and good riddance. There were enough mouths to feed on the rations. The next time your father came, he wore civvies. There was a big party on the road with flags, jelly, sandwiches and orange juice. A piano played and people were laughing and singing. Sitting on your father's shoulders, holding on to his hat, you felt happy and part of it all. This was the scene you always remembered. Like a picture on the front of a jigsaw box, but with an empty space where your mother should be. When you were five, Aunt Ada packed your clothes and your green train into a small bag and told you to be a good boy. Your father took you on a bus to live with a different aunt and cousins. Every Sunday he came and took you to the park but you were too big to be carried now. When you said you wished your legs didn't work, he got angry and said to never say that again because some people didn't have a choice. Living with Aunt Marge was nice and you lived near the school you'd just started. You tried very hard to be good so that you had a home and family, but soon things changed again. One Sunday, your father stayed after you'd gone to bed. You crept out of bed onto the stairs to listen in the dark. 
You can't keep uprooting the boy. He's already lost his mother. We'll be moving to Wales soon with Charlie's job and Terence needs to be with his father. That's why you brought him here, to be near you until you're settled, isn't it? His father's voice floated sadly up the stairs like a grey ghost. It's for the best for the lad, and it's all arranged. The wedding is soon, and there's no room for him at her mum's when the baby comes. The next day, two strangers came to fetch you, and the lady said, You are our little boy now, and your name is John. You ran outside pulling at the flowers and cried for your mother in the Emerald Country and longed for your father to put you on his shoulders so that you could see what grown-ups see. Some seeds came away in your hand so you put them in the pockets of your shorts as they bundled you into the waiting car, to the train station and away to a new life. Your new mother emptied your pockets and threw the seeds out of the scullery window on wash day. In the spring they grew into forget-me-nots and probably still come every year. As you got older you loved singing, sang in your local church and you worked to help others. You married and carried your boy on your shoulders for as long as he wanted and told him you loved him. He grew up successful and had a family of his own in America. After your divorce you found your anchor in alcohol. It became your only friend until it destroyed you. You were a child of your time, Terence, born into conflict and uncertainty, and none of it your fault. Grown-ups think they know best, but you were my big brother, and I wish there had been room for you at Grandma's. Thank you so much, Sandy, for writing that and sending it in to us. It's touching, it's poignant, it's well written and to be honest, any story that leaves you feeling for the main character has done its job. I particularly love the touch of the forget-me-nots. Coming up next though, an author that has featured on this podcast so many times she needs no introduction from me, I'll let her introduce herself. This is Carolyn Ward-Daniels. I've called this weed... David Avery was struggling to open his classroom door with his briefcase in one hand and over 30 exercise books he had took home to mark pinned between his forearm and chest. He was steadily lowering his briefcase to the floor when the home economics teacher opened the door for him. Oh, thanks, Jenny. I should have put these in a bag. He let the exercise books spill onto his desk. Oh, I'm glad I don't have a lot of marking to do. And most of your students are interested in cooking. English doesn't hold much charm for this lot. Who have you got today? My own form, firstable period. This is all they're marking. And dear God, what a mind-numbing evening I had. I asked them to write about themselves. I actually felt sorry for some of them. But for 13-year-olds, nothing much landed on the page. Spend too much time on the damn phones. Now, that exercise is a good way to get to know them, like introducing themselves. No, still don't. Some of the pieces are less than 100 words. What they had for for breakfast, what was going in the packed lunch, if they remembered it, 
what they watched on TV and what football team they support. Oh, nothing about the future hopes and dreams. Nothing. There were three not bad, one good, and one standout. In fact, it is so standout, I'm going to ask her to read it out to the rest of the class. Our girl then. Yes, the new girl. I've been here a few weeks. Short dark hair. Ah, Tara Weed wears her trousers with turnips. That's the one. Never does a school tie properly. She wore it like a cravat one day. She seems confident, but I've, I've noticed she still seems a bit isolated. And that's why I want her to read her piece out. The bell sounded for assembly. Action stations, let me know how it goes. At 4.25pm, David Avery piled up exercise books to take home to Mark, hoping for better introductions from his fourth-year students. Jenny entered with a carrier bag. Thought you could make use of this. Oh, bless you. I think all our bags live in my wife's car for when she goes shopping. Um, I'm interested to hear how Tara's readout went. If you've got a minute, I'll read you Tara's piece. He went to her desk, found her English book, perched on the desk and began to read. My name is Tara Axicon Weed. <laughs> I will tell you, there were a few sniggers from half a dozen or so at this point, and she just bought a volume up. Taraxicum is the name for dandelion and is derived from the French description Dante de Lyon, lion's tooth. My father is a plant scientist and named me after his favourite plant. Because of my father's job, I have been uprooted from many schools as we have lived, as we have lived in Canada with grizzly bears, Australia with deadly funnel web spiders and in India with poisonous snakes besides being here. Here, though, is the only school I've been bullied. Is it because of my name, I wonder? Because quite a few students seem to think it's fun to shout, I'm a weed killer, right in my face, and have you been shagged by Bill and Ben? It isn't nice over and over again. It is bullying. And to be honest, I'd rather live with the poisonous spiders and snakes. My father called me after dandelion because he considers, he considers the flower beautiful and the whole plant is quite incredible. I shall tell you about my namesake, Weed. Dandelions are the early spring food source for bees as we produce pollen and nectar. We grow where other things can't, like if the soil lacks calcium, or is too acidic or too compacted. Leave it to us. We will make the soil better for, before we disappear. However, if you uproot us, we will return twice as strong. Every part of us can be eaten. Our flowers, when young, taste like honey. Our flowers, stems, leaves and roots can be made into tea or coffee and have medicinal qualities. We have been used to treat stomach upsets, eye problems, fever, to moderate blood sugar levels, lower blood pressure, and we are high in vitamins and an excellent source of potassium. So the next time you see a dandelion, don't trample on it or diss it. 
Some of us weeds are helpful and strong. Did I mention I'm very good at kickboxing? <laughs> that is rather brilliant. How did the class react? It was quite obvious by the faces who the shagging weed killers were. The room was aglow with some pink faces. There were a lot of admiring looks, even from some of the boys, whose pieces went something like, My name is Kyle and I've lived in Shingham all my life. My dad works at the meat factory. My mum doesn't. My brother, who is younger, shares my room and I don't like it. My sister is older and has a room all to herself and it's not fair. I support my new. Well, I can tell you a reaction, as I had your form all afternoon and Tara was not isolated. In fact, there was a stampede to bag a table next to hers. Oh, how did she react? I saw a smile for the first time. A lion's tooth smile? Tara is definitely no weed. End. Love it. Definitely one of my favourites. What made you go with dandelion? Because who decided that that wasn't a flower and it was a weed? I just think it is a beautiful it's a beautiful flower. It's rather worthy in our garden. If it weren't for the dandelions, the bees would have nothing. I do like to leave them for the, for, you know, for, for the bees. And just a few weeks ago, I'd looked it up and I, and read about it. I think God, they're better than I thought. I knew you could eat them. And I can remember when I first read it, years and years and years ago, running out into the garden and, and picking a dandelion leaf and eating it. Yeah, okay. And they are quite incredible. Yeah. They were then it was this thing about the, you know, calling it a weed when it is quite beautiful and, and, and using it as a, a context, as a person as well, and how it, how it how that person compared themselves. Yeah. Um, and that's just how it came together. And, and when, because I had to ask what, what the next one was, Ruth, I'm thinking, oh, be dandelion, be dandelion. And that's, a, and that's where that, that came from, you know. I love it. It's been a bit of a school day for me. I knew you could make dandelion tea, that I've heard of, but I didn't know that every single part of a dandelion was edible. I did not know that. <laughs> I didn't. I'd, I'd, I'd heard about the stem. I'm thinking surely the stem can't, but yeah, it can't, but all of it, all of it. That's amazing. It does make you wonder, doesn't it? Who decided because this, this was surely just one person's decision one day, walking along going, that's a flower, that's a weed, that's a flower, that's a yeah. weed. Why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we eat blackberries, we don't say, what's well, in a hedgerow, it's a weed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, so I've got, I've got this big thing about dandelions, and it was just this, this comparative thing between a person and, and, you know, because who decided to trash that dandelion? Who decides to trash that person and bully that person? So yeah. we bully dandelions and why? You know, that's yes. where it kind of came from. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Last but not least, then, is this story from myself. You know, like, houses are generally just bricks and mortar. It's just a thing. It's an inanimate object. But to lots of families... Your house is home and it's where your roots are. This is George. As George lifted the last of the books from the bookcase, he heard the telltale rattle of the cup and saucer 
as his daughter Ellie made her way up the stairs with another cup of tea for him. He smiled and eased himself onto his favourite chair by his desk and waited for the door to open. Ellie breezed in with a smile, saying, Cup of tea, Dad. Thought you could do with a break. You've been at this packing all day. Oh, thanks, Ellie, love. I could do with taking five minutes, if I'm honest. I am flagging a bit. Are you sure you're doing the right thing, Dad? It just doesn't feel right you moving into a home while we are living in your house. We've been over this, Ellie, love. I'm rattling around the place since we lost your mum. And you and Ian have the kids. You know your mum would want you to live here. It's your family home. Our roots are here, always will be. I understand that, Dad, but you moving into a home, I just don't... Shush now, Ellie. Enough, love. It's the right thing. George picked up his tea and turned to look out of the window, putting an end to the conversation before he cried in front of his daughter. That wouldn't do at all. He heard Ellie sigh as she stood up, then felt her kiss the top of his head before she left, saying, Don't stay up long, Dad. You've had a long day today and the van will be here early tomorrow to take your things to the home. As she quietly closed the door behind her, just in time as the first tear slid over George's eyelid, he stood up resolutely to finish packing the last of the books into the final box. But as he picked them up, an old photograph slid out from between the pages and landed face up on the desk. As George glanced down at it, he lost his battle with the tears he'd been fighting. He sat down hard in his chair and let the tears fall. So many tears. They shimmered on the photograph where they fell, like the surface of a still lake. George gazed into that lake at his beautiful Eloise. God, he missed her every single day. And in a moment of whimsy, he imagined he could just dive in and join his love back on Margate Beach, where she had posed so prettily for him so many years ago. Memories of that precious holiday came flooding back to him as if it were just yesterday. George and Eloise had only been dating about six months back then, when they had booked that first holiday together. They were young and in love and perpetually skint. No money for flash holidays, so they booked a cheap, rickety old caravan in Margate. The door didn't even lock on it. The weather had been warmish with the inevitable British drizzle. But they made the most of it. Not many people were brave enough to swim in the sea that year, but they did. Yelping as the cold water hit them and laughing so hard they just didn't care. They were best friends and lovers, a force to be reckoned with, but they had fun together, always. That never changed throughout their whole life together. Even the day Eloise died, they'd spent the day sat on the bed here in this very room, Talking and laughing, reminiscing about their life, the children, the grandkids, before she drifted off to sleep for the last time, in George's arms as always. The next morning, Ellie made her way up the stairs with her dad's morning cuppa and tapped on the door in case he was still in bed asleep. When she got no answer, she knocked a little louder, calling, Dad, are you awake? I'm coming in before opening the door and taking his tea through to the bedside table. As she reached out her hand towards her dad, she stopped and whispered, Oh, dad. 
her dad had fallen asleep for the last time, holding the photograph. But now it was of both him and her mum together, arms wrapped around each other, smiling happily back at her from Margate Beach. For me, George ended up exactly where he wanted to be, in the arms of his beloved Eloise. And maybe when a little bit of time has gone by, and Ellie picks up that photograph in the future, it'll bring a smile for the happy memories. For next month's flash fiction, we are back to using an image, so make sure you pop along to our social media and see what that image is and see what it inspires in you. We can't wait to read the next lot of flash fiction as they come in. A little bit of excitement then for next month. April and I, as I said earlier, have been invited to host our first ever live and in-person evening at Copper Cogs in Long Eaton. It's on the 11th of April, courtesy of Creatives at Cogs, so we are inviting you. We'll be chatting a little about the podcast and a lot about flash fiction. So for all you natural storytellers, whether you've written before or you're brand new to it, come and join in. We'll have you writing flash fiction stories to rival the greats with help from two terrific local photographers, Chris Davies and Tony Fisher, who have kindly supplied us some of their photographs to help spark your imagination. And we will feature our favourite three stories from the night on a bonus episode of the podcast. So that's the 11th of April at Copper Cogs in Long Eaton. We're kicking off at seven o'clock and the room holds 20 to 25 people maximum. So it's kind of a first come first serve deal, but you can book your seat ahead of time via email to bookaplace at creatives at gmail.com. That's bookaplace at creatives at gmail.com. See you there. Thank you once again for all of the submissions for the flash fiction prompt. The only thing left to do really is to wish April better and hope she's back for the next episode and let you know that the next episode finds us reading, reviewing and interviewing Sean Armstrong, who is the author of The Green Girl and the Serum. See you next time. Take care of each other. Ta-ra! Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or if you want to send in your stories, email us at submissions at bearbooks.co.uk. Thank you.